Hi, thanks for joining us again as we go through the book of Numbers in our series, Wilderness Wanderings. Today we're going to find ourselves in Numbers chapter 18 as we keep going chapter by chapter, verse by verse for the most part, through the book of Numbers. Today I want to talk about the gifts, the gifts of Numbers 18 as we look at what God has done in the nation of Israel and how he's providing and protecting and caring like he always has throughout the book, but in a certain specific way to a certain specific group of people. Now, as you've looked through the elections and watched the elections over the last years, there's always a group of people that you notice, but you don't notice. It's the Secret Service. Have you ever noticed that at the rallies or at uh, events, you're going to see these men, women who are there, and they're there with one, in, one purpose. They're there to protect the president or the special speaker, the emissary, uh, or one of the candidates from crazies. And let's be honest, we've seen it recently a lot because the, the candidates have caused great volatility and people are wanting and frustrating and they show their emotions. Uh, I think my favorite one is where President Trump was at a, at a rally and he's speaking and he hears somebody come up and he instantly throws up his fist and starts to turn around and comes back and says, well, I was ready, you know, but the Secret Service got to them first. And the whole purpose for the Secret Service in these areas is to protect the one individual from, from the masses. If you get too close, it's not going to be good for you. And you can keep pushing, but it will not end good for the most part, and it doesn't usually end good for that individual. Well, when we look at Numbers 18, and we remember back to what the Bible has already told us, and God has already explained in the book of Numbers, the Levites are very similar to the Secret Service. And here's what I mean by that. You know who the Levites were. But they're asked to protect. However, they are charged with protecting the people from a potentially dangerous and holy and austere and righteous God. The, the, the uh, Levites are not trying to protect God from the people. God does not need their protection. But they have been charged with the responsibility to protect the tabernacle and to protect the the vessels that are in the tabernacle. Both they and even the priests, to some degree, are charged with the responsibility to protect the people from getting too close, from just uh, profaning that which is holy, from taking something that is common and just walking and waltzing right in and saying, we're going to offer our sacrifices the way we want to do it. We want to do this. We want to do that. The Levites were charged with protecting. It was not God on God's behalf that they risked death, but on behalf of the people. Because as we'll see in Numbers 18, the Levites were responsible to protect the people from God. And if there was a failure, it says that they are going to, and as well the priests, that they are going to bear the iniquity of the sanctuary, that there is uh, going to be death involved. So the Levites are now understanding and are going to be told, if you fail in this, you're on the chopping block. You're the one who is going to face the consequences. So the Levites were to take their, their protective duty, their guard duty of the tabernacle, extremely seriously. Verse 5 says, you can see there, that there be no more wrath upon the children of Israel. What is God saying there? He's saying you as the priests and then the Levites especially, you are taking this responsibility so that if something happens like has just previously happened with Korah and Datham and Abiram and the 250 others, if something like that happens again, it is your responsibility. You are taking this upon you so that the wrath of God will not be met out against the whole congregation of Israel anymore, but against you as the Levites. And so there is this weight of ministry placed upon the Levites and the priests as we go through. They freed the people from the fear of death by their willingness to substitute for the people in paying this penalty of death. Should someone sin by trespassing on holy ground? Now we've talked in previous lessons about the substitutionary act of the Levites. We've talked about how the priests mediate and go between. And God reminds us that one of the weights of ministry for these individuals, for these Levites, for these priests, is that they were to take upon themselves the sincerity 
the, the heaviness of guarding the tabernacle. And if they didn't, there was the potential of death for them. They were taking that place. Now, remember, only priests and Levites were to work together in the, in the tabernacle. This is not just for anybody from any of the other tribes to just come on in and say, hey, we're going to do tabernacle duty. We've talked about that. In fact, if you look in verses 1 and 2, you're going to see the Lord is going to speak to Aaron, which is very unique. And you're going to see that a couple times in this passage. Usually it's God speaks to Moses or God speaks to Aaron and Moses. But in this passage, because he's going to deal with priestly and Levitical duties, he's going to speak directly to Aaron. He says to Aaron, you and your sons and your father's house with thee shall bear the iniquity of the sanctuary. And thou and thy sons with thee shall bear the iniquity of your priesthood. And thy brothers also of the tribe of Levi, the tribe of thy father, bring thou with thee that they may be joined unto you, that you're going to work together and minister unto thee. But thou and thy sons, you shall minister before or in the tabernacle of witness. So what we see here is that the priests and Levites are to only be Aaron and his kinsmen. We know that for the priests directly, it is Aaron and his family only. They are also going to include in this passage here, the priests and the Levites, his kinsmen from the tribe of Levi. The vessels of the sanctuary, as you see in verse 3, in the altar. The priests were to be the only ones who went into the holy place. The Levites and the priests could go to the guard the tabernacle, the courtyard, the brazen altar, the laver, the, those areas outside. But then when you would go into the holy place where the lampstand and the altar of incense and the table of showbread, that was not for the Levites. That was for the priests only. Verse three talks about that. And even into the holiest of places, the only person who goes into the holiest of places would end up being the high priest as we've talked about. So God is just reiterating. He's reminding them of what their responsibilities are. And he says, no strangers just to waltz up, verse 4, and make sacrifice to the, uh, should not come nigh, it says, unto you. Verse 4, the end of verse 4. So someone outside of the tribe of Levi is not supposed to walk into the tabernacle, let alone into the holy place, let alone to make sacrifice. If they do, they face the penalty of potential death. The result you see in verse 7 it says, I have given your priests unto the, you as a service and a gift, and the stranger that comes nigh shall be put to death. But we're also going to see that it's not just going to be the responsibility of that stranger not to come nigh, but also the Levites are to protect them from coming and saying, no, if you don't. And if they don't, the responsibility lies and the potential of that consequence of death also lies upon the Levite as you read through this, this passage. Now, Notice, though, in verse 1, and then again in verse 23, you're going to see that they're going to bear the iniquity. And I've alluded to this already, that there is a responsibility both to the priests in verse 1, the Levites in verse 23, where it says, uh, for they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a statue forever throughout the generations. They are to take the divine punishment upon themselves. This is why it is so weighty. For them to have this position. It's not just a cushy job, as some people may think. As some people may look and say, well, look at the priests and the Levites. They just sit around. They take everybody's tithes, their offerings, their sacrifices. They get to eat some of that. Man, that must be a really nice job. But there is a divine responsibility with that. That if they do not follow through on their service adequately and correctly according to God... If they fail in their ways, there is divine punishment. They shall bear their iniquities, the iniquities of the tabernacle. There's going to be the heaviness of the sins of the people coming upon them. And so there's an emotional and a physical and a spiritual weight that is placed upon these men in order to minister in the tabernacle and to minister on behalf of the people. And so there's that responsibility that's placed. This was not a cushy job that everyone should have wanted. It came with great pressure and great responsibility and constant toil. They were constantly doing these sacrifices. They were constantly working. They were constantly moving stuff and, and doing things. Yet that was part of the issue. Korah and the 250 others usurped their roles for personal ambition, for power, for prestige. They went forward and said, we want that. And that's not what God had for them. 
God said, this is your responsibility. And yet they, they presumed upon themselves to take what they thought was rightfully theirs. And God says, no, that's not how I've designed it. That's not what I have established. God, we remember from chapters 16 and 17, God is the one who establishes the way to him. It's not us. It's not someone else. It is by God and through God alone that he establishes the way to him. And yet they wanted these jobs. They wanted the authority, the power, the prestige. And God looks and says, you're, you're not designed, you are not to have this. And so God has looked and said, the positions of the Levites and the priests in verses 1 through 8, it is a heavy, toilsome job where you are spiritually bearing the burdens, where you are physically toiling and working, where you are emotionally bearing the iniquities of the, of the people. There is a weight that is placed on these men in ministry. In fact, you remember back to Numbers chapter 17, verses 12 and 13 at the very end. After Aaron's rod buds, and it's very clear that God has established the authority of the priesthood with Aaron. And after everything that has happened, what did the people say? They came and they said, the children of Israel spoke to Moses, behold, we die, we perish, we all perish, whoever comes anything near unto the tabernacle of the Lord shall die. We shall be consumed with dying. And so the people understood that the God, the God who was at the tabernacle was holy, that he was distinct, that he was righteous, that he was just. And they realized they could not come near to him, but they, so they took the idea of, we're just going to get far away. They missed the point of the priests and the Levites. They missed the point of the priests and the Levites in that they were there to have the ability to approach the tabernacle. They missed God's grace in all of it. They missed the fact that God established a way for them to come to him. God has graciously done that for you and I as sinners. As we face God's impending wrath upon our lives because of our sin, God has made a way through Jesus Christ, to be able to have a relationship and to continue in fellowship with God. But it is only through Jesus Christ that that is available and that is made. But the people feared the tabernacle. They wondered about it. Can we get close? Can we ever be? And yet God has said, yes, the priests, the Levites are going to provide that for you. It's almost as if he's saying, how many times do I have to tell you? And yet God is a patient preacher or pastor, teacher. He does it again. You can look at Numbers 18 and say, here we go again. Let's hear more about the priests and Levites. Why didn't God just put all the priests and Levites stuff in one section? Why not just like do it all at once and then we can have chapter, you know, one verses two through 200, all about that. Why, why did he place it in different places? Well, he's teaching and then he's teaching again and then he's gonna teach again. He's been doing it often in this book. Aren't you glad that God is patient. Aren't you glad that God rehearses with us? Because if you're like me, it often takes a lot to remind me to get it through my head of what is necessary. I'm glad that God isn't like so many parents who's, I've told you once and I'm not telling you again. You need, God was patient. God rehearsed. And so as he goes through, he's already laid out the responsibility of the authority of the priests and Levites. He's already demonstrated that Aaron's family is to have the authority. And now he's going to state again what they are to do. However, this time, he's going to add some necessary information, which is going to help the priests and Levites as they enter into the promised land. Remember, he's encouraging these individuals. He is graciously showing them that I'm going to care for you, that I'm going to provide for you when you enter into the promised land. I'm going to do that for you. Because if you're a Levite, if you're a priest, you may start to wonder, when I go into the land, how is this going to work for me? Everybody else has an allotment of land. What gifts, what is God going to do for me? You know, God is going to give all these gifts in this chapter. We just went through Christmas for many people. It was a really hard year where maybe you felt like I couldn't get as many gifts to my kids or my family as I wanted to. Maybe for some of you, you were able to. But it really, it doesn't matter the quantity of gifts. It matters what is behind that. It is the love, it is the generosity, it is the provisions and the kindness that is given from one individual to the others. 
often for their benefit. We joke about those items that we never really want to get at Christmas time, the, the clothing articles or the, you know, the undergarments. And we're like, oh, really, Mom? You, know, you got me a sweater? But when you look back and you understand, it's because you needed those things. And it was an opportunity for the parent to provide for the kids in just a small way that says, here, here's some things that I've given that you need. Well, God is going to do that here. He's going to remind the people that the priests and the Levites, they are a gift. They are the gift of ministry given to the people. And that's what you have in verses 1 through 7. God is saying, these individuals who are here, the priests, the Levites, Israel, they are my gift to you. And priests, the Levites, are even my gift to you directly. So we see that they're going to be the, the gifts. So let's look at them quickly. The priest. What does it say? They minister before the tabernacle of witness. They're responsible for the ministry in the holy places. They are to perform the services of the tabernacle. With this responsibility comes those great consequences, those, uh, the weight that we've talked about already. But you'll notice that they say, verse 2, you shall minister before the tabernacle. Verse 3, only you shall come to the vessels of the sanctuary and into the altar in the holy place. So you have that there to keep charge of the sanctuary in verse 5 and charge of the altar that there be no more wrath upon the children of Israel. So God says to the children of Israel, my gift to you that you're not going to face wrath is that these individuals are going to stand in your place. That they are going to be responsible to bear your sins and to come to me. That they are going to be responsible to offer these sacrifices and come before me with their with uh, your sins. And so it is a gift to them. The Levites then it talks about, they're going to help you with their services. You'll see in verse 2, also the tribe of Levi. They're going to be joined unto you, that they shall minister with you before the tabernacle. So priests, Aaron, your family, your sons, Eliezer, you guys, in order to help you do all the work of the priesthood, I've gifted to you this group of men called the Levites. They're going to help you in all these ways. But notice, they're going to help you with your service, but, verse 3, they shall not, only you and your son shall minister before the tabernacle. They, the Levites may not enter into the holy place. So even in God's authority structure, he's reminding even the Levites and the priests, there's a distinction between you. The priests, the Levites are going to help you, but the, they may not enter into the holy place. They're going to assist you in all the services, but only them. Not the strangers. Nobody who's not. Nobody from Reuben or, or Gad or Ephraim or Manasseh. They, even if they're a super righteous and godly individual, they cannot come in and help with this. If they do, there's a penalty of death because God has established the way to him. God is a holy God. And he said, this is the way it is going to be. And then he says, the Levites are the gift to the priest. Remember, God owns the Levites. They are the, the, the substitution for the firstborn of all the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. And so the Levites have taken that place and they, because all the firstborn belong to God and they're going to be, need to be redeemed. We'll see that again a little bit later in the passage. But the Levites are owned by God and God says, I am giving them to you. It says, and behold, I have taken your brethren, the Levites, from among the children of Israel. To you they are given as a gift for the Lord to do service of the tabernacle of the congregation. So they are there for the purpose of helping the priests. Then it goes back when we talk about the priests a little bit more in the last part, verse 7. They are a gift to the people. So God, God is using these terms of a gift and giving and what he has granted to the people because the Levites cannot enter within the veil to the altar to make atonement for the people, then who can? It's the priests. And so the Levites are able to help the people come so far, but the priests are the ones who are able to take in and only be the ones who bring the atonement. Any stranger who tries this, they will be put to death. That's part of the issue with Korah. As part of the issue of what we've just seen with Numbers chapter 16 and 17. Everything leading up to this. In context, unauthorized people encroached upon the holiness of God and they were to be put to death. They entered in, they presumed upon themselves something that was not theirs to take. The people then, they feared approaching this holy God. That was the end of Numbers 17. 
And so this penalty occurs, but God reminds them that the priests and the Levites are in a position to approach, to mediate, and to intercede for them. God's grace trickles throughout this book. And once again, he looks at the people and says, I have provided a way for you to do this. But this position of the priest and Levite comes with great responsibility and even greater consequences. I believe that's why James picks up on in James chapter 3 where he says that we should not all be aspiring to be many teachers. Because with it, there's a great consequence. We have to be careful. We have to be wise. And so he highlights for the priests, for the Levites, there's a great responsibility that is coming with that. For all the people of the congregation... As he looks out at them, all of Israel, he says, you may think they have this easy, cushy job. You may think you deserve it, you want it, but I'm here to tell you that it is not. There is great responsibility. There is great consequences. And these men are working hard. And so because they are doing that, because they are interceding for you, because they are providing these sacrifices and providing ways for you to do this, because they are ministering and bearing the iniquity of the people, because they are spiritually toiling for you, because they are emotionally invested in you, because they are physically working hard, he's going to look and say there's going to be gifts that are going to come. Paul, Paul picks up on this idea of the the minister being a gift to the people. Remember in Ephesians chapter 4 where he's talking about gifts and he's talking about giftedness and then he talks about singular gifts. He talks about these gifts that are given to the church. And he says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why did he do that? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And in context, Paul talks about that those who minister to us that our pastor, he is God's gift to us. That God has uniquely placed him here and called him to this place to minister to us. And so it is a heavy thing. It is a responsibility that he has to minister to this great congregation. And yet God says he's our gift to us. Our missionaries are gifts to their, their people as they're going. And we need to get behind them and be excited for them and be praying for them because of the weight of the responsibility to spiritually, just like the priests and the Levites, to be spiritually and emotionally invested in people, looking to minister physically and emotionally and spiritually to people. But Paul picks up on that and says, hey, some of the same principles are true. These principles run through Scripture that God gifts to the people, the men that are necessary to minister to them. And as you look, as a result of the heaviness of the importance of the work of ministry, it's going to be impossible for these priests and Levites to survive without provisions from God. Think about it. Why, why would they not be able to do this if they're ministering constantly with sacrifices, if they are spiritually toiling on a consistent daily basis for the people? Because one, God is going to say, you have no land allotment. They don't, they're not given a portion of the land. All the other tribes, any map like this that you see in the back of your Bibles, anywhere, you will not find a section for Levites. You'll find Levitical cities that are put around that are going to be established later on for the Levites to live in in different areas. But they are not given a land allotment by God. And because they are to focus on the spiritual matters and not have to worry about providing for their families, they're not, they're, they're, they're not going to have the time to provide. So what happens? Does God just say, well, you know, just guess you'll have to figure it out. But God takes time in this passage to help them, to help those priests and Levites who are ministering and are burdened and are concerned with a practical concern. How do I care for my family? And God says, let me tell you how. Let me show you. And he talks about the gifts for ministry. And the rest of the chapter from verses 8 through 32, the major portion of this, he's going to look at the priests and Levites and say, let me tell you how I'm going to provide for you. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. He's going to demonstrate. Notice in verse 20, jump down there. The Lord spoke to Aaron, thou shalt have no inheritance in their land. So he reminds them that when you go in the land, Aaron, the priests, the Levites, you are not going to have land allotments. 
neither shall you have any part among them. You're not going to have any extras coming in, any areas. You're not to go buy another parcel here and there of land. You're not, you're not to have anything because I am thy part or thy portion and thine inheritance among the children of Israel. Now that verse gets abused. And we'll talk about that in a second. But it's talking that God is going to make a way to provide for his ministers. He's going to provide and be their portion. It's not the idea that they're just supposed to live by faith, never receive income, and that they should just hope that somehow God rains manna all the time for them. God is looking and saying, I'm going to provide. I am your portion. I'm in your inheritance. You need to walk by faith. You need to trust in me and be that example. So God takes time to explain to his ministers, but also to the congregation, his plan, his way to provide for these priests and Levites. And it's a, it's a principle that runs through scripture, but we see it here very clearly laid out in verses 8 through 32. So he talks about, how am I going to provide for the priest? Let me practically lay it out, he says. He says, okay, the most holy items that are going to come in, they can only be consumed by the priest. Look in verse 9. He says, this shall be thine of the most holy things. Talking to Aaron again, verse 8. He's talking about the priests at this point. And he says, only those things that have been reserved from the fire, every offering, every meat offering, a sin offering, trespass offering, all of these offerings that are going to be made here, these very holy ones where most of the, most of the items would be consumed by fire, but the portions that were not, you could eat them. You could enjoy them, uh, but they could only be consumed. Notice at the end of verse 10, it says, in the most holy place, thou shalt eat it. Every male shall eat it. It shall be holy unto thee. So he looks and he says, it can only be done in the holy place, in the tabernacle, only by the men. So the only people who were going to be able to were the priests at this point. Not, not their families, not anybody else. It was almost like, here's, here's going to be your lunch and dinner while you're on the job. The, the job's going to provide your food for you while this is happening. And then he says, but the holy, the holy and devoted items, which is the next section, verse 11 through 14, he says, now these are going to be a little bit different. They're going to be able to be consumed and used by the priest family who were clean, who were righteous. Notice down in verse, uh, verse 11, it says, and this is also thine. The heave offering, remember we talked about the heave or the wave offering, where portions were given to the priest. They are there to be given, the heave offering with all the wave offering of the children of Israel. I have given them unto thee and to thy sons and to thy daughters with thee by a statute forever. Everyone that is clean in thy house shall eat of it. All of the best of the oil, the best of the wine, the wheat, the first fruits of them, which they shall offer unto the Lord them have I, here's a given, given thee. You see that word coming up again. So God says, these offerings that the people are bringing to me, I am gifting to you, the priests, for you, for your family. So those wave and heave offerings, the oils, the grains, the first fruits, all these other items that are going to be devoted, verse, verse 14, everything devoted in Israel shall be thine. There are times in Israel's history when they would go in and they would, they would ravage a city, they would, under the conquest, they would take the city. And the city was, uh, was called, it was under the ban. All these items were to be devoted to the Lord. Now, it doesn't mean that only they just sit in a coffer somewhere and it's only for God someday. The idea, what he says here is these items that were taken in, that was to be the allotment for the priests, for them to be able to use. So when they go into conquest, they might have one city that was under the ban. Those items went to the priests. Now the next cities as they conquest, those are going to be divided among all the spoils of all the other tribes. But those things which are devoted to the Lord, those things went to the priests to be divided among them. So God says, I'm going to provide for you. And you're, you're for not just you as the, as the individual, but for your family. And there will be sufficient and there will be abundant for you to, to be able to there. And notice 11, verse 11, it says, this is a statue forever. This is not just while they're in the wilderness. This is whenever, even when there is a permanent temple, 
the priests and the Levites were to be cared for by God's plan, which was through the offerings and the tithes and the giving of the people to the ministry of God. And so God establishes this principle. He even goes on a little bit further in the verses 15 to 18. You'll notice that everything that opens the matrix in all flesh. In other words, this is just a euphemistic King James way of saying the firstborn. The first, the first one, the first child. Now specifically, usually the first male that is, that is born. But it, that's what that phrase is talking about. It's talking about the firstborn, and we've talked about that before. The money from the redemption of the firstborn goes to the priests and their family. Look what it says here. It's going to talk about that when you, everyone that opens the matrix, which shall be brought uh, unto the Lord, which is to be a men or beasts, shall be thine. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man shalt thou surely redeem, and the firstling of an unclean beast you shall redeem. And those that are to be redeemed from a month old, thou shalt redeem according to thine estimation for the money of five shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary, which is 20 giras. So basically the child for a child that is born, the firstborn male child is going to be five shekels of silver that are going to be given to the priest. And that is divided among the priesthood. When it is an unclean beast, like let's say a donkey is born, your first donkey in your, in your tribe of donkeys, okay? I don't know what the word is. If it's not a flock, it's a herd mate. I don't even know. What would it be? If you know, let me know. A group of donkeys. Uh, but for an unclean beast, it doesn't really give, Leviticus talks about maybe the, the price would be a, a first a lamb to replace it. It doesn't seem to be that it would be the five shekels because it wouldn't seem equitable, as most commentators talk about, to have a firstborn child be worth five shekels and an unclean donkey be worth five shekels. Uh, so it seems that the five shekels is the price for that firstborn child. But there is a payment for the firstborn of the beast, even to the priest. And then beyond that, for a clean beast, portions of the meat are going to be heaved or waved. Verse 19, uh, the, all the flesh among them shall be thine, from the wave breast, verse 18, sorry, and the right shoulder are thine. So just like it has been before, that firstborn animal is going to be sacrificed unto the Lord, but portions of it are going to go to the priest. So you start looking at all of these different things, ways that God has provided and said, through all these offerings and through all these tithes that were required of the people, he says, through all of that, I'm going to be giving you meat. I'm going to be giving you produce. I'm going to be giving you grain and oils and wines. I'm going to be giving you money that you can use in order to provide for your family. He's looking at these priests and Levites and saying, when we're entering in the land, you continually faithfully do your job. You will not go for want. He says, I will care for you. I will protect you. I will provide for you. And he continues to do that. In fact, he, he gets to the end here, verse 19. And there's this, this phrase that's in here. It says, And all the heave offerings of the holy things, which the children of Israel offer unto the Lord, have I given thee, and thy sons and thy daughters with thee, by a statute forever. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord unto you and your seed with thee. We get this phrase that talks about here, what is happening is God is sealing this. He is saying that all these items for all times, as long as this is established with the priesthood and the temple and the tabernacle, they are to be used as payment to the priests for their service. It is a statute forever. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord. Now, this idea of the covenant of salt, is it a... Uh, it's given there before the children of Israel. It's a perpetual allotment is the idea. Now, the salt covenant comes up in two other places, Leviticus chapter 2, 2 Chronicles chapter 13. And neither of them describe what the salt covenant is either. They just say it should be a salt covenant. It seems to be something that was understood by the people. Some say it's because on every offering, as Leviticus 2 talks about, there's to be salt sprinkled with every offering. And so if there's salt with every offering, you know that this is going to be a perpetual thing that's going to happen. Some say it's the smallest amount of food that would be interchanged in a bond or in a, a decision or a pact that would be made between people. 
Others talk about, could it be just the preservative nature of salt and saying this covenant between God and the people is to be preserved. It is to continue. It is to go on and on and on forever. Whatever it is, it shows the permanency of this covenant. God saying to the priests, I will provide by the people giving to me and I'm giving back to you. I will be your portion. I will be your inheritance, not the land, but me. And God highlights that in verse 20 to Aaron as he says that. God provides in verse 20 that theological rationale. Why is God not allowing you the allotment of land? Because he says, I am your portion. I am going to give you what you need. I am your inheritance. He says, you must depend on me. You must have faith upon me to care for your needs. What a, what a challenge, what a lesson for me, for all of us, to constantly trust that God is our portion, to trust that God is our inheritance, that God will provide for us in the times of need. But the priests especially, think about this, they had to depend on the faithfulness of the people to God. If the people didn't bring offerings, if they did not bring tithes, they would not be provided for. They wouldn't, they wouldn't have that through God's plan. Now, would God provide in another way? We don't know, but this is the plan. This is the way that God has established to provide for them. And then they must also depend on God's faithfulness to the people. So as the people are faithful to God, God blesses those who bless him. So then God is going to be faithful to them. And as they are faithfully giving to God, God faithfully gives back to them. And caught in the middle of the faithfulness is the priests and Levites. Just trusting God, trusting the people, everybody to be faithful to each other because in their faithfulness to them, in the middle, the one teaching them to be faithful, the one going on behalf of the unfaithful to the faithful one are the priests and Levites. And they must trust and rest in all the faithfulness of God and even in the faithfulness of the people. Now, what about the Levites? That was just for the priest, for Aaron and his family. What about the Levites? Now, there's not as much specific given here, and that's because part of it is the priests are dealing specifically with those sacrifices that are being offered to God. Now it's going to be talking to the Levites and talking about what is going to be done with them. All of Israel was required, wow, required to give a tithe to God. And that's important to understand. You notice that in verse 21. It says, And behold, I have given the children of Levite Levi, all the tenth or the tithe in Israel for an inheritance. So all of the tithes that Israel was to bring to God were going to then be gifts to the Israel or to, to the Levites. Now, Israel's tithe, we, we instantly think tithe, okay, 10% of my income. But as pastors alluded to many times, in fact, just recently in a couple of weeks, he, he alluded to it in one of his series, one of his messages. The tithe was not just on what money you made. The tithe was on everything. It was on, it was on your sheep and the wool. The tithe was on the wine that you brought in, the, the, the juice that you brought in from your grapes, the fruits that you plucked, the uh, grain that, that grew. All of that, the, the milk that you got from your goat and the curd that you would receive. The, the oil that you pressed from your olives, the income that you brought in from your livelihood, one-tenth of all of that from each household was to be given to the Lord. And the Lord says, all of that tithe, I am giving to the Levites. That's how I'm going to provide for them. And so all, all of those items are now going to be given to the Levites uh, if you want to do a little bit more, a couple of the passages talk about Second Chronicles 31, Deuteronomy 18, just highlights some of those things, the meat, the honey, the, the milk, the wine, the food, it just shows that I'm not just making this up. This is what God has said for the tithe. Remember even in Matthew 27, um, God, Jesus looks at the, the Pharisees and says, you're, you're missing the bigger picture of the law, but you're so focused on your tithe of your mint and your cumin and your anise. He, looking at these small spices, they were even down to tithing on that. They were so focused. So tithe, tithe to the Jews was a big portion of their life. And so a tenth of everything went to the Levites for provision. But notice this as well. It's also a statute forever, verse 23. 
He says, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that they're going to bear the iniquity, but also that they're going to receive these blessings for their spiritual ministry service to the people. So when they go into the land, this is how God is going to provide for the Levites. It's also a great reminder to the people that God will bring the Levites into the land. There is that potential. We don't have a land allotment. We don't know where we're going. Is God really going to bring us in? And even after what has just happened with Korah, is God still mad at us? Is he going to bring us into the land? Or are we not going to be allowed as a tribe to go in because of the rebellion of 250 of our leaders? God looks and says, when you're going to come in the land, when you're there, this is how I'm going to provide for you because this is a statute forever, which means, Levites, you're going to be around and we're going to provide for you and I'm going to care for you through all of your ministry and everything that you do. All the priests are Levites. We've talked about this, but not all Levites are priests. And the end of this passage is going to remind the Levites of that. As, as God walks through and God is instructing Aaron He's going to switch it up a little bit right at the end. Notice, notice what happens as you get down to verse 25. Lest the Levites think of themselves the same, on the same plane as the priests, which is what Korah struggled with, and the others, God instills a practical reminder for them. It's a tithe on the tithe. So they're going to tithe on the tithe that has been given to them. And look, look what happens in verse 25. Who's God speaking to? Now he's speaking to Moses. You'll notice in verse 1, the Lord spoke to Aaron. Verse 8, the Lord spoke to Aaron. Verse 20, the Lord spoke to Aaron. He's speaking to Aaron when he's dealing directly with issues of the priests and the Levites. Now he's going to speak to Moses, and he's going to speak to them about the Levites. But why does he do that? What he is doing, God is removing any potential conflict of interest. Because this tithe on the tithe is going to benefit Aaron and his family. So in order to remove any doubt, any conflict of interest, you would wish politicians today would remove themselves with conflict of interest, but that's a whole nother side note. God looks and says, Aaron, let me take care of this one. I'm going to have Moses step in. Because the tithe is going to go to Aaron. He speaks to the Levites, verse 26, and says to them, when you take from the children of Israel the tithes which I have given you from them for your inheritance, then you shall offer up a heave offering of it, even a tenth part of the tenth of the tithe. So now the Levites, lest they think, oh, we're just like the priests, they're going to offer to the priests and to the Lord a tenth of what they have received. It delineates, it distinguishes the priests from the Levites. They offer that. In fact, even remember in Hebrews, and I just, I think it's seven. uh, I might be wrong on that. But where it's talking about Melchizedek and God is talking, it even talks about that the Levites are receiving an offering in the tithes. So it talks even, even in the New Testament, reminds us that this is what they did. This was how God provided for them in the, in the tithes. So the Levites were offered 10% of their 10% to the Lord, which is then given to the priests. This was to be the best of what was given to them. They were not supposed to offer just the junk, but out of all of your gifts, of everything, offers a heave offering, verse 29, to the Lord, of all the best thereof, even the hallowed part thereof of it. They were to offer the best. It's never sufficient to just give God our refuse. We don't give God our leftovers. We give him of the best. We give him of our first fruits, the first portions. For many, many of us, it's the first check we try to write in the month or in the week, just to try and keep with that idea of the first things are going to God. I'm not going to give God, well, if I have a little bit extra this week, I'll, I'll give to God. No, I give to God first and then God, God takes care of the rest and I work wisely and I'm financially hard in, in all those areas to, to take care of the rest, but I need to be giving to God and I need to keep that principle there. These could be enjoyed by the priests. Again, keeping in flow with the passage, who could enjoy, where they could enjoy it. These ties that were given from the Levites to the priests could be enjoyed by the priests anywhere in any, in any direction. So God sums it up in verses 30 through 32. All of the payment to the priests and Levites, he says, is a reward 
for their compensation or compensation for their service. Look in verse 31. You shall eat of it in every place in all your households for it is your reward for your service. The word reward has the idea of your allotment, your payment, your compensation for your service in the tabernacle of the congregation. And you shall bear no sin by reason of it when you have heaved it from it the best of it, neither shall you pollute the holy things of the children of Israel, lest you die. Think about what's being said. God is looking and saying, this is your payment, and it's not wrong or sinful to pay ministers of the gospel. Some denominations refuse to pay their pastors, refuse to pay them because they say, well, they need to just trust in God. That seems to be a conflict of the principle of this passage. God says it's not sin for them to be taking that which was offered to God and using it for their livelihood. Totally different story if you're consuming it falsely under false pretense. That's a whole other issue. But a lot, and there are denominations, even in our area, that don't pay their pastors because they just want to keep them trusting God. But God says, here's how I provide for those who are ministering on my behalf. Paul picks up on that in 1 Timothy uh, 5, where he says, don't muzzle the ox who's treading out the corn. And he goes on to the idea of the laborer is worthy of his hire. And he talks about that. Paul picks up on that same principle. Even though you're being paid, though you must do your job appropriately. That's the challenge for us, for me as a pastor. Look in verse 32. He says, you can do all those things, but if you do it wrong, you pollute the holy things lest you die. In other words, just keep doing things the right way. If you don't, then there's that seriousness, the weight that he talks about earlier in the passage. That there's a sincerity and a sobriety to ministering for God. It's a wonderful privilege. But there's a sincerity and a sobriety to it as well. So as we walk away from this passage, what do we walk away with? What what can we understand? I believe we can look and say all our possessions that we have are granted to us from God. The land the tribes received was an allotment to them from God. And God is saying, everything that you're going to make off of this land, all the blessings I'm going to provide, you are to give back a portion to me. You, we are to take God's grace in our lives and in our service and give back portions to him. As ministers of God, we need to focus on our priority of our responsibility. It's not to go out and make millions of dollars on side jobs. It is to minister to the people and trust that as that is happening, that God provides and God cares. But there's that dual, that dual responsibility that we all have to work together for the body of God, for the body of Christ, that as we are blessed with the blessings of God and God's grace in our life, that we give back because it is all his anyways. Whether it's my children to say, God, they're yours, to look at my finances and say, God, they're yours. My home, God, I want to open it up when I can, when we don't have to have all these restrictions. I want to open it up and let it be used by you for ministry. I want to get into my time and and give my time because you have given me opportunities. But we need to be looking like Israel often and saying, what parts of my life am I holding back and not giving to God? But we must give back portions of God's grace in our lives to him and his service so that he is able to then use them and faithfully bless. As believers, we have the responsibility to take care of God's ministers of grace. We have responsibility to our missionaries. We have responsibility to our pastor. We have that responsibility in our lives to be giving in order to, pro- to provide for them. Not because God needs us, but because God has chosen to use our gifts to provide for our ministers. That's God's, how God has been working. And as I, as I reflected on this passage, my, my mind was taken to Paul's writings. My mind was just drawn to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is an awkward uh, message often for preachers to preach. We, we don't like walking through and talking about finances and giving, especially after, for, for those of you in our congregation, you've been so gracious whether it's a love gift, you know, just a, a gracious gift at Christmas time, or the provisions that you've given to us in so many ways as staff and pastors here. But as we're walking through the text, I'm not just going to skip over a passage of Scripture because it's awkward. God has placed Numbers 18 here to remind us of the importance. 
God's inspirations made it clear that we must be giving back to him out of the abundance of his grace in our lives. And so what, is, what did Paul say in Numbers chapter uh, 9? Excuse me, not verse 6. Starts in verse 6. R- read along with me as I, as I read here from, uh, from the ESV. It says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves that cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, it does do that, but it is also an overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Our gifts back to God demonstrate that we love him and we're thankful for him. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. Paul highlights Christians give and Christians are obedient to giving and for your generosity and sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Paul reminds us the same thing that Numbers reminds us. That out of God's abundant grace to us, we are to give back to him for the cause of the gospel. God's generous gifts prompt gifts of generosity. For many of us, it's hard because it's tight. It might be difficult. It's a hard year. You might be battling with finances. You might be looking and saying, I can't give to God right now. But I would encourage you to just be looking at God's word, praying and saying, God, what would you have me to give? What would you want me to do? How would you want me to show generosity from the generosity that you've shown to me? Because that's what Numbers 18 prompts us to do, to give generously back to God because of his generosity to us. Father, I pray that you would help us, help me to be generous with all that you have given to me. You've been so gracious to me, to my family. Lord, to be able to be part of a ministry that truly does care for their pastors, I thank you for that. That cares for their missionaries. And God, I pray that you would help us to be very generous in our lives for the sake of the gospel. Lord, thank you for your passages of Scripture. Thank you for putting them where you do. And when we go through them, help us to understand these are your truths. These are not just some man trying to get money. But Lord, this is your principle. This is your truth. And Lord, help us to live by your truths. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a good day.